Christ lives in us. And we have his power at our avail so that we can yield to him rather than to me. Follow it? It's only then that you can begin to get your life in line with the truth of the gospel. It's only then that you will be set free from hypocrisy. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning we turn to our study in Galatians and Galatians chapter 2. If you were here last week, we started a series of four sermons. It's going to come out of Galatians. And I want to remind you again that when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to counter false teachers who had come into the churches, many of the churches he had planted, particularly this in Galatia, they had come in and they had troubled those early Christians. They troubled them. They troubled them by distorting the message of the gospel. We talked about the gospel is the power of God to salvation. That's what Paul said in Romans 1. And now they'd come in and they had distorted it. They had perverted it. And so now we're going to come to the second chapter today. And in the second chapter, we're going to find Paul doing something that you, you just couldn't absolutely imagine. Here is Paul. Here's Paul confronting Peter. Peter, a pillar in the church. I was reading John Stott's commentary uh, on Galatians, and this is what John Stott said about the passage we're going to read. He said, this, with, this is without doubt one of the most tense and dramatic episodes in the New Testament. Here are two leading apostles of Jesus Christ face to face in complete and open conflict. Now let's go to the text and read it. This is God's Word, found Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Those were the false teachers. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, here's the core. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. 
If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, O oh Spirit, this passage is so essential. And I, I pray, even in the weakness of my own abilities, that your Spirit, God, would take these words and drive them deep into our hearts, and that we would understand what the gospel is and how it affects everything that we do. For we make this prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you see the confrontation here. Uh, look at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. Now, I want you to wait there just a minute, and let me tell you the first part of Galatians chapter 2. Uh, the first part of Galatians chapter 2 is another trip. The first part is a trip that Paul makes to Jerusalem. And he goes to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John, who were the pillars of the church at Jerusalem. And he goes to them, and he explains about this revelation God had given to him, what the gospel was. It was all about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, James, and John absolutely agree with him. In fact, if you look at verse 6 of chapter 2, it says, they added nothing to what he said. They agreed with him. Sent him off with their blessing. All right, that's the first part of the chapter. Now you come to the text we read. It's another trip. This time, it's Peter coming up from Jerusalem up to Antioch because he wants to come and see firsthand what he has been hearing about the conversion of the Gentiles. So that's where we are. Peter comes up. He's coming up from Jerusalem, and he comes to Antioch. Antioch was the chief city in Syria. It's where the Gentile mission began. Paul and Barnabas, most of the missionary, of, of his missionary uh, trips started right in Antioch. Antioch was the first place that disciples were called Christians. That's where we got our name, from Antioch. A very important city, primary city in Syria, a Gentile city. And their people, many people, heard the gospel. They embraced Jesus Christ. They repented of their sins. They were baptized, and they became part of the church. And so now Peter comes up, and he comes to Antioch. And when he gets there, he's very normal. He's going to these Gentile Christians, and he's doing what any of us would do. He goes, and he meets with them. They're brothers in the Lord. They've had faith in Jesus Christ. They've been baptized. They're part of the church. So Peter comes up, and he fellowships with them. He sits around, and he eats meals with them. He's enjoying himself. He's, he's getting to know them. He's doing all of that until this very distinguished group of religious people. You, don't, you know how they are, don't you? These very religious people came up from Jerusalem. And they looked at Peter, and you know what? They were disgusted with him. 
And they go to Peter and they say, Peter, what on earth are you doing eating with those Gentiles? And you know what happened? Peter crumbled. He started withdrawing himself and he quit eating with them even though they had embraced Jesus Christ, were part of God's family. He quit eating with them. He with, look at verse 12. He withdrew from them, it says. Now, here's the question. Why on earth did Peter do this? It wasn't because he agreed with these false teachers. In fact, he, had, he knew Peter had, he'd, he'd had this vision from God. You remember in Acts chapter 10, he saw, sees this vision about a sheet that comes down, all these animals on it. And so all those ceremonies, remember all those ceremonial laws, food laws in the Old Testament, you could eat things and things you couldn't eat. And one of the things that came out of that was you didn't dare associate with, uh, you didn't dare associate with Gentiles who ate all that kind of stuff. But when Jesus came, he did away with all that ceremonial law. And God gave Peter a vision that said, all that's done away with. Peter had the vision. And not only that, he had agreed with Paul in the message. And yet Peter now backs away. Peter compromises and he steps back. It wasn't because he agreed with the false teachers theologically, but you know what the real, listen to this. I want to, you know what the real problem was? What we talked about last week. He was more interested in getting the approval of man. He was willing to compromise essentials of his faith so that other people would like him would accept him. Remember what we talked about last week? That we're accepted in Jesus. We are loved by Jesus. We don't have to have our value based on what other people think about us. Here's Peter. And he's more concerned about what these influential religious people from Jerusalem come up and think about him. And so he, he compromises the gospel. And look, when you get right down to it, let me tell you what it was. It was hypocrisy. That's what it was. And so Paul confronts him. First of all, he confronts him to his face. Verse 11, see it? He confronted him to his face. He didn't hesitate to oppose Peter, even though he knew that Peter was an apostle before him. He knew that Peter was a pillar in the church in Jerusalem, but that didn't stop him from opposing him. He confronted him privately, and he confronted him publicly. Verse 14, he did it in front of them all. Now, why did he do this? He did it, he confronted Peter because Peter was wrong. They had agreed upon the gospel, and now Peter changed. And what was at stake here was a major theological truth. The truth of the gospel was at stake here. And so Paul, listen to this, Paul was willing to split the church rather than compromise on this point. Now, what was the essence of the point? It was the very nature and essential character of the gospel. What had Paul been saying? Paul was saying, now look, please listen to this. What had Paul been saying? He was saying, when, 
we are to, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saved. And once we're saved and appreciate what Jesus has done for us, now we're going to want to live for him. That's what Paul was saying. What were these, uh, what were these false teachers saying? They were saying, all oh, faith is good. Uh, of course you've got to have faith. But you've got to add to faith. Now, faith is not enough. You've got to add to it. You've got to keep all these little rules. And basically, in that era, it was to the Gentiles. What they were really saying was, if you really want to be, you're Gentile, you really want to be, you've got to become a Jew first. They added to it. You see what was happening? And I want to tell you, those are two different belief systems. One that says you earn it, the other says it's grace. And grace alone. And even those Christians got confused by it. So he confronts them. By the way, there's a whole other sermon here. And the other sermon is this. Real quick, I cannot miss this. There's another sermon here, and I don't have time, but here it is. Briefly. Um, do you realize that we have a responsibility to each other in the family? That when we see a brother or sister that's making poor choices or compromising, out of love for Christ and out of love for them, we have a responsibility. I can think of so many marriages that could have been saved, perhaps, if somebody had just stepped in and said, look at what you're doing. Do you understand that's what Paul did? Paul said to Pe Peter, Peter, you're wrong. Think about that. We have that responsibility. Okay, now let's come to the issue. Verse 14, here's the, here's the crux of it. Here's the issue. Verse 14, and it's found in the opening part of verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now I want you to look at that phrase, acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That was the real issue. The gospel has implications for every area of your life. And we have been called by God to bring every area of our lives in line with the teaching of the gospel. Now, did you get that? Let me tell you why I'm saying this is so important. Because there's so many of us, I guarantee you this, there's so many of us, we sort of put our spiritual lives, our, our, you know, our religious life, we kind of put our church life, we put it over here and it's a nice little piece of our lives. And then we walk out of here and we basically forget about it. We basically forget about it. We go back to life as usual. So we go back home, we still have our fights. We go back to our businesses, and there's still unethical things that take place. We go out in the way we treat people. It doesn't change us. And one of the greatest problems, and this is, look, this is at the core of our vision for this church, is that we see people's lives changed, transformed by the gospel. That's the essence of this vision. And we have to get it here. The gospel affects every area of your life. The gospel is not just about what you do Sunday morning or even you carve out a little bit of time today, do your devotion, and then it's life is, is normal. No, the gospel has everything to do about everything. It's the hub. 
Now, let me tell you, if you're like me, what this does. When I start looking at this, now think about this. Everything in your life, right, brought into line with the, with the truth of the gospel. I'll tell you what immediately went, when I was working on this, I'll tell you what immediately went through my head. I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. Because when I begin to look at it and to see, and by the way, I'm in good company. I'm with Peter, right? And I'm with you. Because we all have to realize none of us consistently does this. <laughs> you know, like the story of the guy, somebody asked a friend, asked a guy to come to church. He said, I'm not going to come to, that church is full of hypocrites. The guy said, well, come on, there's room for one more. Come on, you know. <laughs> So I think that's right. You know, the church is full. We're all hypocrites. Let's be honest. I mean, Paul, Peter was being a hypocrite here. Now, see, you'll never get the gospel until you come to that point and you say, honestly, I have failed, and I'm a hypocrite. That is so hard for religious people to say. But it's the truth. Peter was a hypocrite. We have to come to grips with that. Now, here's what I got to thinking about that. Okay, I'm to bring everything in line with the truth of the gospel, and I start looking at my life, and I start looking at how I apply the gospel in every situation, in my marriage, with my children, with my business practices, with my thought life. And I could go on and on and on. I keep saying I'm just not in line with the gospel. Now, I want to tell you, when you come to that point, you're halfway home. Because it's not until you're absolutely honest about yourself and we quit all this self-righteousness that so plagues the church today and we get radically honest about ourselves that we all desperately need forgiveness. That's the starting point. And then once we've come to that place, you know what? All of a sudden you begin to see things differently because you see that no matter how hard you try, I don't care how hard you try, how much effort you put into it, you will never be able to walk in line with the truth of the gospel in your own power. It's impossible. And so you come to this verse. Oh, what a verse. You know Galatians 2.20? Have you memorized Galatians 2.20? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way to get freedom from your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy is to come to Jesus and to realize what we have in him, Galatians 2.20. You see, here's what it does. I've been, I want to take it apart. Look, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Let that one sink in. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? My old self was nailed to the cross with him. It means all of those failures, and yes, even Peter's failure, his hypocrisy, Jesus took. And he took your hypocrisy and he took my hypocrisy. 
and he goes to the cross. You know what? Look, I'm going to quote again, just a minute. I'm going, I'm going to quote Jonathan Edwards on another work he did. Jonathan Edwards, absolutely, this is what he said. He said, it's not until you understand that Jesus says of you and me, I am that sinner, and I have taken that sin, and I gave my life for it. It's not until you come to that place in your life that you see Jesus on that cross for you. There's some of you here struggling with, with guilt. There's some of you in this room, you've got regrets. You have regrets you cannot let go of. I've met with several people just in the last few weeks, and they said, I hear what the gospel says, but I cannot forgive myself. That shortchanges the gospel. That shortchanges what Jesus did for you. Jesus took it all, and he paid for it. And it is done. It is finished. And you're forgiven. Now forgive yourself. I've been crucified with Christ. But then read on. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ and his redemption breaks forth into my life by spirit. And now Jesus lives in me. And there is this incredible inward power that we have because Jesus lives in us. I doubt there's a person here who would disagree with Galatians 2.20. I doubt there's a person here who would. But we forget it. We forget that Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us. Christ lives in us. And we have his power at our avail so that we can yield to him rather than to me. Follow it? It's only then that you can begin to get your life in line with the truth of the gospel. It's only then that you will be set free from hypocrisy because he will give you this powerful, this ability, powerful ability out of your love for him to want to please him. Now, why do we want to please him? Look at this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's about faith. It's about believing. I have to have faith that Christ died for me. I'm going to stop right here and ask you that question. Do you know this morning, without a single doubt, if you were the only person on this earth that Christ died for you. That's what changed my life. I knew all this gospel stuff. I grew up in the church, knew all that stuff. But it wasn't until a man sat down with me and he talked to me and he said, do you understand that Jesus loves you and he died for you? And it became intensely personal. 
Do you have faith that Jesus died for you? All right, I'm going to take you one more step. Do you have faith that Jesus lives in you? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus lives in you? If you believe that Jesus lives in you, you have this incredible power to love like you've never loved before, to see life like you've never seen life before. It's going to change everything, everything about your life. It's powerful. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand what this is saying? It's saying that you are absolutely and completely loved by Jesus Christ, and there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Nothing. Yeah, but you don't know, preacher, what I'm like. No, I don't. He does, but you know what? He still loves you. You don't know what I've done in the past. <laughs> you, you just don't know what I've done in the past. No, I don't, but he does, and he still loves you. See it? You are unconditionally loved by him and completely loved by him he loved me so much that he gave himself for me he delivered himself up to the cross and he died for me there it is there's no greater love than that and now he lives in me and I'm his and he is mine. Let's pray. Just in the quietness of this moment, I imagine that perhaps there are some people here who are struggling with that first step of faith. Do you really believe that Jesus died for you? But maybe today you've seen it. And right where you are, you don't have to walk an aisle, hold your hand up, but right where you are, you can simply turn to him and pray quietly, silently. Oh, Jesus, I am so sorry for my failures. And now I see how much you love me. You've taken them away from me, and you've freed me. I give you thanks, and I receive you by faith. Please live in me. And for those of us who are believers, maybe we've been believers a long time, but we've lost the wonder of the fact that Jesus lives in us. Would you just this morning just pray, Jesus, help me. Help me to practice your presence. Help me to appropriate your power. Help me to be aware that you live in me. And give me the power to bring every aspect of my life in line with the truth of the gospel.
We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for your incredible love and for the fact that we're yours. We thank you as we make this prayer in your precious and your matchless name. Amen. Dr. Gibbons' recent series on the Apostles' Creed is now available as a 12-CD audio set in the Vineyard Bookstore. Cost is $20. Call 864-672-1864 to order.